Blog Talk Radio. Mr. Speaker, I rise today to implore my fellow congressmen to wake up. Can't we see what's happening? In just the past month, we discovered that the NSA is snooping on millions of innocent Americans using the Patriot Act. But Congress wrote the Patriot Act. The IRS is targeting conservative organizations using the tax code. But Congress created the tax code, and the DHS has stockpiled 200 million hollow-point bullets. Congress just funded the DHS last week. You want me to be surprised? I'm not surprised. I'm outraged. But what's happening here? In each case of executive overreach, Congress gave an inch, and the executive branch took a mile. When our civil liberties are stolen, Congress investigates and expresses righteous indignation. But all too often, Congress then turns around and funds and enables this unconstitutional behavior. If we don't reverse this trend, we can kiss our civil liberties goodbye. The Constitution embodies American principles that men and women fought and died for, to protect. We swore an oath to protect it. Mr. Speaker, I encourage my colleagues to reflect on the damage that CISPA, the Patriot Act, and the NDAA have wrought on our civil liberties. Implore my fellow members to uphold the constitutional rights they swore to protect. Gentlemen, Don't yield an inch. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over that. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. And so that's as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around. We aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America and our listeners around the world. If you're wondering what's going on at AJC Radio tonight and what you just heard, stand by, because tonight we take a look at where and what and where did the Constitution of the United States go? What has happened in America where the criminal justice system is failing? We ask the tough questions. We ask to see what's going on and why do we continue to spiral out of control. We got one answer tonight. The Constitution has left the building and we're in search of him. Ladies and gentlemen, hang on to your seats. AJC Radio deals with one important issue. The Constitution has gone missing. Right now on AJC Radio. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Make no mistake about it. This is going to be the show that really deals with some major, major issues. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt, and the entire AJC radio team. 
as tonight we deal with a subject critically important uh, to the condition of the United States criminal justice system. And uh, I'll tell you what, this show, if it would be titled correctly, is the Constitution. Where is it? What happened? And uh, Dennis, as we were talking earlier uh, about this program tonight, we dealt with one issue. There are several issues and ills facing the American criminal justice system. What we have found is, is that the reason you have mass incarceration, the reason you have juvenile uh, school-to-prison pipeline, the reason you have police brutality on its citizens, and body bags being filled is for one reason. The Constitution of the United States is no longer in play. And I'll use a baking analogy for all of our cooks out there. If it's it's kind of like it, it goes to the fact trying to make a cake, but you leave the eggs out of it. I can tell you right now, that cake is not going to be any good. Tonight, we have tried to ensure justice, but we've left the key ingredient out that causes justice to be fair, and that is the Constitution of the United States. Dennis, your thoughts on that? Hey, I agree 100%. I mean, there's so many violations of our Constitution. Uh, everybody got their own view and how they want to look at it, and I'll tell you, it, it, it's, it's truly, truly destroying our justice system. We're not, we're not using the Constitution anymore. Uh, you know, judges, uh, prosecutors, uh, they got too much power. I mean, we took the power from the people, and this is what we're facing now. Well, and Cliff, as we were sharing earlier uh, in regards to the Constitution concern, we talked about, and we're going to be talking about very vividly tonight, the RP6 case as well. The Constitution was left off the table. The oath of office taken by these officers of the court they failed to implement the Constitution. I guarantee you, if the Constitution had been on the table, the RP6 would be free right now. Cliff, your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, every court case that you look at that gets overturned, every court case where a person gets exonerated, all goes back to the fact that a person's constitutional rights have been, have been violated. That is what the problem is in the courtroom today. And the sad part is that judges stand by and watch prosecutors violate a person's constitutional rights and the prosecutors stand by and watch the judges. They together allow constitutional rights to be violated and innocent people to go to prison. It's time out for it. It's definitely time out. And uh, I'll tell you right now, Lisa, as we talk about this, even in regards to the IRP6, uh, we're dealing with major, major issues that uh, that need to honestly be addressed. And those issues, when you talk about the IRP-6, uh, when you talk about these six men, uh, David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker, victims of a system, collateral damage, if you will, of injustice. Your thoughts as we begin to unravel the key component of the Constitution that ensures justice? Well, Lamont... I, I feel like um, the Constitution was put in place uh, by our, our founding fathers. It's, I mean, everything they put in place was the way it should be, but it hasn't been being followed. People do their own thing. If, we, if people did it the way, if our country used the Constitution the way it was meant to be used and followed it the way it was set up, so much injustice would be, would be missed. There would be so many things that would be better because... The way it was set up was a good way for it to work. They're just not doing it. We've got to get back to doing it the way they did it back in the day. No, absolutely. We're going to be breaking down some of the points of the Constitution. Lisa, before we go any further, the disclaimer for our listeners, please. Yes, we just want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. 
You'll want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a Just Cause or AJC Radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend time with us this evening. Thank you, Lisa, for that. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you right now, the United States Constitution starts with three words. We, the people. We, the people. And to be exact, it says this. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, and provide provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. That is a very, very powerful statement. Uh, But we've long left we the people. We've become I the judge, I the prosecutor. And if there was a change in the uh, writing of the Constitution, we were not invited to that ceremony. And uh, judges are doing it. That's why judges are getting impeached. That's why prosecutors, as we said on this program before, need to be held accountable. We're going to be actually joined tonight uh, shortly uh, by Donald Connery. Uh, He is an author, independent journalist, and former foreign correspondent. Uh, He roamed the world reporting on major world events for Time, Life, Fortune, Sports Illustrated, and NBC uh, News. Just to name a few uh, of the accolades, if you will, on his resume. We're going to be joined by him as he chimes in on the lack and the missing constitution in the criminal justice system uh, today. Uh, Shortly after that, we're going to be joined by Jonathan Rapping. Uh, Rapping is a criminal defense attorney, founding president of Gideon's Promise and an advocate for criminal justice system reform. Uh, Also uh, following him, uh, we're going to have George McElrod. He has been a a psychotherapist for 17 years. Uh, He's going to chime in on what is happening and what has gone on uh, here in America dealing with the criminal justice system. So uh, we intend to address all of those issues, uh, and these are very, very important. Dennis, when we talk about this, we don't hear a lot of discussion on the news regarding the Constitution and the lack thereof. And that's true. I mean, it's, uh, uh, again, I think it's the power issue. I, I think once you relinquish uh, power to judges and uh, prosecutors, uh, and, and it's been going on for so long, and, and now the light, the light is being shined on it because of, you know, the, the recent, uh, the, the, the numerous exonerations and uh, people being found, you know, that they should never have been convicted of a crime that they never committed. So, you know, now we're saying, wow, we really need to look at this. But I'm telling you, it's true to say, had we stuck to the Constitution, had we given people their rights as a citizen of this United States of America, I guarantee you our prisons wouldn't be overflowing like they're doing now. No, and then again, that's the point we want to make tonight, ladies and gentlemen. We are asking tonight, this is an open forum, uh, call in. We're going to ask you to call in, chime in on your thoughts, of the, the missing fact, or the clear fact, that the Constitution of the United States not only puts thousands of people away, namely we're going to talk also tonight about the IRP-6, so many violations of law, so many actions that you cannot even begin to understand how do you leave a major page out of the Book of Justice, wow. and that is the Constitution. Feel free to call in tonight, folks. The number is 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. 
please dial in today. We want to hear from you. Your thoughts, your perspective uh, are very, very important to us, and we ask that you, uh, that you actually tune in to that. So, uh, folks, uh, I'll tell you right now, I never knew that something could be so important. We're going to get into the Bill of Rights, uh, those d- different I- items and options that are actually going on uh, within the system, uh, dealing with uh, all the things that you're talking about, violations of law. The, why was the speedy trial something that was important as part of the Constitution of the United States? To protect the rights of its citizens, to protect the right not to be railroaded and, log- and basically lengthened out in a long process of people trying to build a case where there was none. Exactly. Uh, the bottom line is, if there's a case in, a, in the criminal justice system, it should be cut and dry. That is so far from the truth that people take the, the speedy trial issue, prosecutors, go far beyond that because they are trying to create a theory where there many times is not a crime. Exactly. exactly. That is, how bizarre is that, Dennis? When and, you think about that, we're going to, and in the case with the IRP6, they broke and violated the Speedy Trial Act so many times, and nothing was done. Nothing. And you, you know, every part of government, they say, what is the oath of office? What do they say in government, in most branches of government? To uphold the Constitution of the United States. They have not, not only not upheld it, they have trashed it and trampled them under their feet. Judge Christina Aguayo, one, one of many federal judges, disregarded the Constitution and, and sent six patriots away to prison. How bizarre. That, that infuriates me. Because it's unacceptable. Dennis, your thoughts on it? I agree. I mean, it's totally unacceptable. And then when you, when you talk about the right to a speedy trial and to, to have someone extend it to try to find out, you know, to try to get as much as they can to try to uh, uh, falsely accuse someone, I mean, that's just observed. And it's just, it, it really pisses you off when we got judges, judges who we elected thinking that they're going to do the right thing. They're going to hold prosecutors and, and our defense attorneys accountable for what they do. And what do they do? They side. They side with a prosecutor. And then they do, do things that, that, that just kill you. I mean, come on. You are a judge. Let's do the right thing. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. Uh, and I'm just going to go down a couple as we get ready to dig, and dig into this conversation. Uh, you have here... Uh, uh, Amendment uh, uh, Amendment 8 says, uh, it's, and it's cruel and unusual punishment, uh, states here that excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishment inflicted. That's Amendment 8 of the Constitution. How many cases, Cliff, do we see where somebody cannot even make bail because a judge decides to say, I'm going to make the decision. The Constitution, Amendment 8 says, excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishment, which means you have the right to make bail, because guess what? The presumption of innocence is supposed to be with you. Yeah, and that's the reason, you know, that we say so many times that, you know, you get rid of this prosecutorial and uh, judicial immunity. I guarantee you that the prosecutors and judges will start upholding the Constitution because then they'll look at the fact that if I'm found breaking the law, committing an actual crime, committing crime when you uh, refuse to uphold somebody's constitutional rights, then when they see themselves in the position of going to jail for that, 
then they would stop trampling on the Constitution. Because right now, you know, it it comes down to their egos. It comes down to you know them feeling, uh, in some cases, like like they they think they're they're God or something, and they just say, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you in prison for this amount of time. I'm not gonna allow you to have bail for some stupid reason, and lock a person up that isn't even charged with a crime. You haven't even been charged. Just well, we're gonna we're gonna wait, keep you in jail for a year, two years, however long, just to uh, until we decide what we're gonna charge you with. If you start locking prosecutors and judges up for committing those type of atrocities, those type of things would end. Well, no, absolutely, and these are things that uh, that have to be dealt with uh, because this again does not the fairness of the Constitution was fairness that all men were created equal. Uh, and or, uh, have the same rights. Well, guess what? If that was the case, we wouldn't have a Ferguson. We wouldn't have a Walter Scott in North Carolina. We wouldn't have none of these issues that are, are Tamar Rice getting killed on a swing set. I mean, these are, if you saw all of us, if we saw all people as people, guess what? Eric Gardner wouldn't be in a grave right now. Michael Brown wouldn't be in a grave right now. Walter Scott would not have been shot in the back with eight, with however many warning shots he took in the back, walking away from a cop. Again, the, you want to ask the question, where's the problem lie? The Constitution, the lack thereof. It is the bottom line. If we treat people, you know what? It goes honestly to the golden rule. Doing to others as you have them doing to you. Exactly. I learned that in kindergarten, first grade. That rule is no longer in society no more. This is a tragedy. And we wonder why we on the you got the folks on the news stations asking what's wrong with our criminal justice system? What's wrong with our society? The judge decides. I was reading a story where a judge, a young lady, came in the courtroom. She was laughing a little bit. No major crime. He threw the book at her. Wow. Off of his emotion, off of his opinion. That's not the Constitution. When you have an attorney who fails to do their job in the RP six case, six attorneys. Refuse to do their job But yet you say I'm entitled to a fair And impartial trial I'm entitled to put on my case The presumption of innocence is with me Guess what Not the case And all those attorneys did Was say take a plea Not to defend the rights Of these citizens Ladies and gentlemen of America This is outrageous This is the problem. It is the major problem in this country. Judges have become more powerful than the Constitution of the United States. And you know what? There are no consequences. There are no accountability issues that they have to deal with. Why? We as a society have accepted it. That alone uh, is unacceptable and cannot be done. And you're going to hear some clips tonight. President Obama talking about the push for criminal justice reform. Congress talking about the push for criminal justice reform. Congress talking about mass incarceration. Congress talking about we having the largest rate of incarcerated people in our society. When do we stop and say, what is the root of the problem? There's a document that belongs in every courtroom in this country. And they gladly, in courtrooms across this country, hang the Constitution on the wall with no intention of abiding by it. Ladies and gentlemen, this has to stop. Lisa, when you, when you begin to digest, look, we're 20 minutes into this show, and I'm already sweating. You know what? Right because this go. situation simply is unacceptable. Lisa, when you hear that, all that the Constitution was set out to do, it doesn't take a scientist to figure out what's going on. 
No, it's. I mean, it's been. It's been trampled. It's been. It's been disregarded. No one. It's like it doesn't matter anymore. It's like it's existed. It, it's just. It's never existed. They. They do what they want to do, and they disregard what the right is of the American people. And here's the difference: the Constitution has no favoritism to your, your, your financial status. But the rich can walk away out of a courtroom not convicted. But the man in the in the inner cities who can't afford an attorney, I, I don't believe that was the intent of the forefathers that put the Constitution in place. No, Tonight, we take a look at the tragedy of the, one of the most important documents needed in this society that has been put aside and brushed under the rug, saying we no longer need it, we have figured it out. I can tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen of America, it is not figured out. We uncover the corruption and the injustice that is happening as a result of the Constitution of the United States has gone missing. We're coming right back here on AJC Radio. This is, this is AJC Radio Tuesday evening, dealing with one thing, the Constitution of the United States, and we're going to look for justice as we open this door to this conversation. We'll be right back. Don't go nowhere. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252 That is a just cause, and we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are 1 out of 3. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prison. 
and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime, 1 in 2 men, 1 in 3 women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation. For the ones we love. For our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight, I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt. As tonight, we begin to uncover some very important issues of the rights of the American people. And there's a lot of rights being violated in the criminal justice system. Cliff, as I was talking earlier, and we were discussing earlier, what you find here, and I'm going to just say it. The criminal justice system in America right now, as it is, is the contributing factor to the problems that are going on in this country uh, in regards to the rights of American of America and its citizens. Your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, you know the the thing is, you when you look at the way that the um, the judges see when you get the ego. And you get you get opinions of judicial officers. You get the opinion of the judge on the table. That has nothing to do with my constitutional right. Absolutely. That has nothing to do with the fact that my evidence should be allowed. The prosecutor should not be allowed to lie on me, and the jury should be able to see everything going on. The, if a judge gets mad at you in America's judicial system, you're most likely going to jail. You're done. You're getting locked up. Your case is pretty much over if the judge gets ticked off with has at that point every every uh, objection that the prosecutor throws your way the judge can uphold it or uh, or set it down it's the the judges that that are supposed to judge but end up not being the judge but being a extension to the prosecutor if the judge doesn't like you you're going to jail and the american people have to understand that Everybody thinks until they go through or have somebody real close to them that goes through a trial, oh, no, I can present my evidence. The judge will see it and let the jury look at it, and I'll be found innocent. Well, if a judge like Judge Christine Arguelle say, I'm not going to let that evidence come in. Why? Because I don't like you, really. I'm just not going to say it, but no, that can't come in. Well, how about my expert witness? I'm not going to allow them to testify. How about my uh, my the intent that I had as a businessman 
what I intended to do in uh, developing marketing and selling my product. I'm not going to let you explain that to the jury. All these things that the judge ensures doesn't come to the jury, then the jury's left with the lies and the spin that the prosecutor lays out, and that ends up with you being convicted as a defendant. That is not justice. That is not your constitutional right. But then again, the judge, the federal judges, there is there is no prosecution on a judge for what happens in the courtroom. Oh, that was judicial error. That's just something that happened. Happens all the time. So guess what? You're locked up in prison, and the judge gets a, a note that says, uh, don't do that again. You might want to rethink the way that you stated that. But you're in prison in the meantime. Wow. I mean, this is, ladies and gentlemen, this is a real conversation. Amendment 5 states this, that no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a, a presentment or indictment of the grand jury except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. Wow. All that happened. Did you hear that? Cliff, Dennis, Lisa, the IRP-6 compelled me. I didn't have to directly say testify. I didn't have to directly tell you to get on the stand. But to compel me means I can use any tool at my disposal. To compel you, what does that mean? A threat, an act of intimidation that is compelling a witness to testify, which happened point blank in the RP6 case. Cliff, did that not happen? Right, exactly. And then when that is found that, you know, the judge says, okay, either put on your next witness, which is not available, or one of you will have to testify, or I'm going to close your case. That is beyond a threat. That that is you just threatened to close my case, and I have not put on a, a third of my defense. But you're telling me you're going to close my case, and then the appellate court comes behind that and says, "Well, yeah, we take what you said, but what the judge meant was this." You cannot tell me that the judge's words that were said meant something else. Wow. The, the the law that is not the way the law is set up for you. To interpret what somebody meant, it is in black and white. It is it is in letter. It says what it says, and a statement by a judge that says, "If you don't do this, I'm going to close your case." That is a threat. That is a violation of your constitutional right. Any way that you chalk it up, that's the bottom line. And the bottom line is, when we have gotten to the point of abusing the Constitution as we have done it in this country, we find it easy to excuse the behavior. Of those that violated. That's the problem. Hold those accountable who are violated. You're not when they say violate the Constitution of the United States, you are literally stripping the life. And that's why they said in that statement, you, you shall not forfeit liberty. Your liberty, your freedom. Because you choose to disregard the law. What our founding fathers meant. 
for that to be. This is, this is, ladies and gentlemen, feel free to call into this show tonight, 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. As we deal with the horrific acts of this country and how many body bags, how many families will have to be torn apart while we sit on talk shows and news shows saying, what is the problem? We are our worst problem because no one wants to speak out against this type of violation of law. It is uncomprehendable. And us as American citizens, if we violate one iota of the law, they, they do not hesitate to put handcuffs on us. But when a judge does it, the system does it. Nobody is accountable. That's right down baloney, and I don't mean Oscar Mayer. <laughs> Here we go, folks. We are joined tonight with Donald S. Connery. And uh, great deal of respect for Mr. Connery. He's an author, independent journalist. I'm going to let him uh, tell his story and his perception of what we're talking about tonight. The Constitution has gone missing in America's courts. Uh, Mr. Connery, how are you tonight? I'm fine, thank you. I'm, I'm here in Connecticut. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Connery, for joining us tonight. And I don't know how much you've heard of this conversation. Uh, we, we are glad well, not to ha- much. Okay, well, we're going to get into it. Uh, Mr. Connery, we're talking in regards to the, the Constitution, what we believe has gone missing in our courtrooms today. We believe that the lack of respect for the Constitution of the United States uh, is a very clear picture of why the criminal justice system is in the condition that it's in today, because we have not respected it as it was at one, at one point uh, in this country. Your thoughts on that? Well, if, if you're if you're speaking of the uh, violation or disrespect for the Constitution in courtrooms, um, I'm less of an expert on that than what happens uh, to people who get into the courtrooms and I'm speaking specifically of uh, police interrogations, because okay. the, uh, in the whole process, if you are uh, hauled in as a suspect, the Constitution is violated uh, uh, repeatedly, has been for decades, and still is, by the, uh, the psychological uh, uh, pressures of uh, police interrogations, which are based on, on falsehoods and the confrontational tactics and all the rest, very often leading to false confessions. So that's my that's my primary concern, going all the way back to 1973 and a famous case. Okay, well, I'll, I'll let you share that case, uh, Mr. Mr. Connery, Connery with, the, with the people tonight, and uh, give us your thoughts, and I'd like to hear that. And I do believe that is a clear point, that I believe the well, violation constitution is to what you just said it don't just it doesn't just start in the courtroom it starts in there many times with the arrest i agree well yeah with with a, an, an original uh, accusation now way back i think we're all familiar with the so-called third degree where the where it was quite commonplace all the way uh through the uh history in the state in the u.s 30 in the 20s and the 30s and and the 40s into the 50s and at, and at some point, uh, the uh, physical brutality inflicted by police on suspects gave way to interrogation methods, which were uh, supposed to be non-brutal and uh, without the use of force. And on the whole, that happened, although we, we still had cases of uh, police torture or other 
physical means, but it, it gave way to what is best known now as the the, the Reed technique, where right. police officers by the thousands across the country were taught since the 1950s to use uh, methods where the suspect is broken down psychologically and uh, uh, told that uh, the police know he committed the crime or he or she, and uh, a confession uh, results, and very often it it, uh, it is of a guilty person. But all too often, as in the case of the Central Park Five, uh, the suspects are uh, guilty, and that has led to uh, you know a quarter of the uh, more than 300 and, uh, persons exonerated through post-conviction DNA testing. Well, more than a quarter have given false confessions. So there's something vicious and uh, insidious about the interrogation methods that are allowed under the justice system. And I, I, I strongly feel that the Constitution is routinely violated in police stations all across the country. And Mr. Mr. Connor, let me ask you a question. Do you, in your, in your opinion, was there ever a time where there was, I mean, if you're going all the way back to 1973, uh, 1950s, when was it, when, when was our system doing the right thing? I mean, of course, I wasn't alive then in 1950, in the 50s, but where do you think the problem went wrong? Because what I say all the time is that culture now, when something goes long enough, it becomes culture. The culture of America and the police uh, departments across this country now have adopted this culture to keep doing it, and in your opinion, how do we change it? Well, the the the, the culture of the police methods has been there uh, all the time. When when they uh, find they, uh, in, at least in their own minds, that they have a what they might call a good suspect, then uh, if you can uh, accuse him and force him to uh, confess or or even uh, even you know present evidence which is planted and so on, you you can turn innocent people into uh, guilty people. But I, I think specifically the, the 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 rather common practice of uh, of the suspects not having uh, rights and not understanding uh, that he has a, constitu- a constitutional right uh, to remain silent and to have representation and not to incriminate himself, this supposedly was corrected uh, uh, by the Miranda ruling in the 1960s, uh, which the police uh, objected to strongly, and then found that they could live with it, because, uh, as we probably all know through television and so on, the suspect comes into the police station, uh, and uh, the police may say, by the way, you know, we're supposed to read you your rights, blah, 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 and it's rapidly, and then do you understand your rights? And very often, or most often, especially naive suspects, especially the innocent, well, yeah, yeah, I understand my rights. Well, once they they sign that or say that, well, then the police launch into a barrage of accusations and lies and claims that they know the suspect did the crime, and very often the result of hours and hours of uh, psychological uh, high-pressure tactics will break down innocent people, well, and even break down the guilty. The result is that you have confessions, many of them false, 
but the protections are supposedly there under Miranda, but they don't work that well. And, and uh, there has to be a, an absolute uh, overhaul of police um, ability to uh, continue this process. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dennis. Mr. Uh, uh, Connery, this is uh, Dennis. Uh, I got a question for you. Uh, what do you yep. think about uh, video uh, during the interrogations? You think a bit, a bit louder, that, please. What do you think about uh, video during interrogations? Do you think that might uh, help help with making sure that people are not uh, pushed to uh, give false confessions? Well, as a matter of fact, you know, I was a foreign correspondent, uh, an international uh, reporter for Time magazine and Life magazine uh, in, in my early part of my reporting career. Uh, but uh, the, the Peter Riley case in Connecticut uh, in 1973, uh, a, a teenager who uh, was uh, accused of murdering his own mother and within 24 hours uh, confessed and was found guilty, sent to prison, uh, even though completely innocent. It, by, by, it was only by blind luck that the uh, Connecticut State Police uh, uh, fully recorded every uh, moment of the eight-hour interrogation. And that, uh, that, uh, that reel-to-reel tape was the instrument that led to his rather rapid uh, exoneration within four or five years. But it was only uh, much later... In, in the 1990s and into the new century, that uh, uh, audio taping and videotaping began to be adopted across the country more and more. So it has become more routine that um, there is a full recording, uh, not just of the confession itself, itself, but of the full interrogation. However, this is not universal across the country in many, many states do not record, even though they should. But it is probably the most obvious reform of, of anything in the justice system. And it is becoming more commonplace, and it provides a safeguard to the suspect, and it also protects the police from false accusations about using physical force. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a very, very good point, uh, Mr. Connery. And as we talk about the uh, as you say, even down to the uh, the Michael Brown situation uh, down there, uh, where he again was shot and killed, uh, and now the legislation push uh, for body cams uh, to be to be worn by police officers is something that's starting to be pushed, which is the same as video, of course. And uh, my thought is this, and let me get your thoughts, Mr. Connery, as we have moved forward in technology. How many? It makes you wonder when you see what we've seen with Eric Gardner in New York City being choked out by a police officer yep. saying, "I can't breathe." Uh, that caught yep. on tape. Officer Scott being running away from the police car, and the officer actually drops something to say he was threatened, he feared for his life, which becomes the common statement these days. With that technology, it does not it raise the question of any state that would oppose such uh, a legislation with body cams. Is there something that they apparently are trying to hide? Well, of course, the, in, 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 the, in your naming of these well-known cases, we can go way back to the Rodney King um, tape by a, by a bystander 
uh, in the last century, at the time of the uh, O.J. Simpson trial, where Rodney King was being battered by the L.A. cops, and that right. was caught on tape. But more and more, say, we are now into it, technology, and there is no longer any excuse whatsoever for the police not to be compelled to, to, uh, to uh, tape record, I should say, uh, you know, record their actions uh, whenever possible with body cams. Of course, the patrol cars have cameras. There are cameras everywhere, and there certainly should be in interrogation rooms. I mean, the, 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 uh, the smaller size of camera, cameras, the digital revolution, this is a major uh, advance uh, that, that reveals uh, excessive police uh, uh, methods, and it's all to the good. And, and there's no excuse not to use the latest technology and for the, uh, the, the public to pay for it. And Mr. Connery, you know, we've had, uh, you know, more than one individual come on that maybe retired law enforcement, retired DA, or even a public defender that says, you ask them what would be your advice. The first thing they say is, do not talk to a law enforcement officer without an attorney available. They say, even especially when you're innocent, when they read you your rights, the first thing that should come out of your mouth is, I want my attorney. Now, most innocent people say, well, I'll answer a question from the police right. because I'm not guilty of anything. I want to help law enforcement. They end up getting themselves in trouble, even though innocent. But the the issue that I think I have is that law enforcement has the right to lie to uh, conjure or coax or however you want to put it to get a confession from a quote unquote guilty party. But when you have an innocent person that they can lie and they say we have all the evidence and they drill and drill and drill for eight to ten hours on a person, get a false confession, then how does a body cam help? How does a uh, camera in the interrogation room help when that is what the police officers have been taught and by law they can do? And they can they can tell whatever lie they want to get a confession out of anyone, even innocent. Well, okay. Uh, so long as the police are are being allowed to use the so-called read method, the confrontational, we know you did it, uh, psychological pressures, uh, uh, this to me this is wrong because there ought to be a, a non-confrontational, information-seeking way of uh, questioning uh, crime suspects, who in any event do not have to under the Constitution uh, uh, say anything. Or, or, or not have attorney present. However, uh, if, uh, if the police are required to record every moment of, an, of a questioning, of the interview and interrogation, uh, the defense is able to find that the, the, uh, the interrogation was, uh, or the confession was coerced, and the judges will not allow that can, that interrogation to be used in court unless it's recorded. So it's a, it's a tremendous safeguard, and it also protects the police who do the job correctly. If, every, if it turns out the person is uh, guilty, if they have not used uh, lies and deceits, uh, and they get an honest confession from a guilty man, that's good for the police to be able to say, yes, he confessed, and the tape or the, the recording proves it. But it certainly protects the suspect of his innocence to be able to say just 
just look at the recording of the transcript, how I was compelled and forced by exhaustion and and, uh, every other method, hunger, to uh, deliver a false confession. We do have the safeguard, and it's more and more states are insisting that this be applied. Oh, definitely. uh, Let me just say, because you mentioned it, uh, it, the best advice, so long as we have the imperfect system, is that the uh, the, that the uh, the person who is uh, uh, called in for questioning uh, should not stop, should not be answering questions. He should assert he has a right to silence. And if the police persist, then to continue and say that he he wants uh, to have an attorney appointed to protect him and say nothing. The police should solve crimes not through confessions, but through evidence. And we have more and more um, um, technological means of producing evidence. Obviously, DNA has made a revolutionary change. But when you think of all the ATM cameras and the, the cameras in stores and on the streets, you can very easily, uh, far, far more easily than in previous decades, uh, find evidence, DNA certainly, uh, of, of a person's guilt. And if you don't have evidence, then let the man go. No, absolutely. And, and one last question for you, uh, Mr. Connery, uh, as we, we will be respectful to your time. Um, when you look at the, the actual deaths that are occurring while citizens are in police custody, and talking about what, you, what you're saying when they're in custody, when they get getting questioned, uh, we go to situations in this country where people have been brought into police stations or sheriff departments. And if they say, I want an attorney, or they seem to be not wanting to cooperate, I agree with you with the fact bad cop and interrogation, we know you did it because it's, it's propelling these officers to take violence as the next step of action, as we now find ourselves as a country asking the question, then if the Constitution was honored, even in questioning, why are we taking body bags out of jails where they are basically taken to the place for interrogation or for questioning? It would stand the reason that the uh, folks would be a little bit nervous and say, give me the plea right now. I don't want to die today. I'll plead to whatever you say. I just don't want to die. Do you think that plays a well, part as far as the fear factor? Well, you're well. You you are describing the the the, the tragedies uh, in in police stations when bad cops go uh, into violent behavior, break the constitution and and the law. But uh, and and you know this is this is this used to be commonplace. Uh, uh, and uh, not reported and not known. One of the astonishing developments of uh, recent times is that there is more and more attention paid to these incidents because of recordings and because of of uh, honest cops uh, uh, reporting uh, what other cops did. We, we can go back to Serpico, famous case um, of a New York City policeman years ago. I mean, uh, see, we have a combination here of uh, horrifying instances, and certainly with uh, with a lot of racism uh, on top of it, 
where totally inexcusable police behavior has been exposed to a, a degree uh, and, and never known before. But the fact that it is being exposed and reporting and reporting, reported widely and discussed, uh, is is a, a a reason for hope. So I'm not, you know, I'm not excusing anybody's behavior, sure. and and there's got to be greater accountability. But I but I do think that uh, we're on the uh, uh, we're making progress because of the exposure. Right. No, I agree with that. And and uh, did, did you have something else, Mr. Connery? No, I'm 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 trying to find a balance here because I I think uh, there should be national outrage about the cases you mentioned and the the uh, persistent ra- racial uh, bias that's involved in police activities. Uh, but it's got to be balanced uh, with a recognition that every adv- every effort to cure the system or fix it to some extent uh, is is uh, is now making advances. Even the two political parties, and I should say even the Republicans along with Democrats, are recognizing the end result of mass incarceration is, an, is a tragedy you know, beyond belief. The fact that this is now a national discussion, which it was not a few years ago, is a reason to keep on you know, uh, uh, with, with, some, with some expectation of results. No, and, and Mr. Conrad, I definitely agree with that, that uh, it is a national discussion now. Congress has come together and say we need to make a change. The Congressional Black Caucus, uh, they're coming together saying our top priority of this year is criminal justice reform. So I do agree with you. There is a reason mm-hmm. to be optimistic. There is a reason when the President of the United States goes into solitary confinement and to federal prisons and says, you yep. know what, we have a problem. So your point, well, well taken with that. That is absolutely, uh, without question, uh, the truth. I'll, and, make, uh, I'll say one more thing, if I have a moment. Sure. Okay, well, uh, the, there is a missing element here, which um, uh, you and everyone else uh, should uh, keep watch. They're uh, amazing, amazingly to me, since I've been involved in this uh, field of uh, wrongful convictions since 1973, there is still a, uh, a, a an idea that wrongful convictions are still uh, on a fairly low level. I mean, the, all the attention to mass incarceration uh, is, uh, is well deserved, but that people uh, do not have much of an idea that the actual percentage of innocent or wrongly convicted people in the prison system is actually uh, even even if it's a modest uh, conservative figure like five uh, percent of all uh, inmates in a, in a system with more than two million, well, there there is a an annual uh, figure of, of at least one hundred thousand innocent men and women in the prison system at any one time, and a hundred thousand and more. Is is ought to be uh, in everybody's mind because uh, even the, the the exonerations that we know about are, are in the hundreds, three to four hundred, but the actual prison inmate innocent population is enormously greater, and there you are, and every effort should be made to free as many as possible. 
No, and I definitely agree with that. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the exoneration project and their numbers that they put out in 2014, that it was a record setting years for exonerations. And that speaks volumes to, to, yeah, an effort is being put forth to get innocent people out. But I think it speaks louder to the fact that, that, that to your point, that there are far too many people, like uh, former Attorney General Eric Holder said, far too many people in prison for no good law enforcement reason. And, and I echo your sentiment that we need to get them out. You bet. And Mr. Connery, thank you so much for joining us tonight on our program uh, I had some more questions. I, again, we're going to respect your time. We appreciate you uh, taking time today to talk with us, and and we want to definitely salute you for what you're doing um, uh, as far as your work uh, at the Northwestern Law School and National Center for Reason and Justice. Uh, we commend your efforts to seek justice in a very troubled time, and uh, we salute you tonight and give our utmost respect for you and what you do. Thank you for your service uh, to this country. Well, I appreciate that very much. Best wishes. Bye. Thank you so much. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Uh, Some very informative information. We're going to actually go to break right now. On the other side of the break, we're going to bring on Jonathan Rapping, uh, who is an attorney. He's going to give his thoughts on the Constitution element that has gone missing in today's criminal justice system across America. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, 
is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. you got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Regardless of race, 
region, faith, that we recognize this is an American problem and not just a black problem or a brown problem or a Native American problem. This is an American problem. When anybody in this country is not being treated equally under the law, that's a problem. And it's my job as president to help solve it. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio bringing the message of justice all around the world. And tonight we deal with a very sensitive issue. And there you just heard President Obama uh, over a year ago addressing the criminal justice system, the problem, the rights that all Americans should have of fairness and not deal with an issue of unequal justice. And we're going to get into that conversation. But right now, let me bring on Jonathan Rapping, uh, a gentleman joining us tonight. Uh, we'll give his perspective. He's a criminal defense lawyer. Uh, he's founder and president of Gideon Promise and an advocate for criminal justice system reform. And I t- as I said moments ago, Dennis, criminal justice reform is nothing less than bringing the Constitution back in America's courtrooms. Uh, Mr. Rapping, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. And thank you so much, Mr. Rapping, for taking time out of your schedule this evening. Uh, and I'll tell you, this show is one of, of, huge, uh, of a huge enlightening, if you will, that and our position, uh, Mr. Rapping, and I want to hear your thoughts as you introduce yourself to our audience, that we believe, and why this show is so important, we got lawmakers, judges, former judges, prosecutors saying, how do we fix the criminal justice system in America? Go out and get 21 pages of the United States Constitution and put it on every desk of every judge and in every courtroom, and I think our problems what begin to be solved. Your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I would say, I'd say this. Um, I agree with you, but, but I also think that the Constitution promises protections. To each and every one of us, it protects us from being unreasonably, unjustly stopped, searched, um, having our homes searched, our cars searched. It protects us against having confessions coerced or beaten out of us. It protects us against having the police use suggestive identification procedures. It protects us by, by, by promising that the, 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 the state, the prosecution, will turn over evidence that shows we're innocent. All of these protections protect all of us, but they are only as valuable as the quality of the lawyer assigned to make sure they're realized. All of those protections are only realized through your lawyer. And 80% of the people in this country are too poor to afford lawyers. They rely on public defenders. And if we truly believe that poor people should be afforded the same protections under the Constitution as the rest of us. We must make sure the public defenders who speak for them have the resources and the training and the commitment to make sure that those protections are brought out and realized in the courtroom. That's not happening. No, absolutely. And uh, I agree with that, Mr. Ravi, because I'll tell you what, and this is the question that that I had in regards to the, that particular problem is how can 
the public defender's office, excuse me, the public defender's office, work for the same state. You work for the state, and you happen to be a defense attorney. How then are resources allocated to the prosecution? And the de- public defender's office is left with absolutely hardly no resources to put on a defense. That alone, that alone makes the, the plan feel completely unfair. Well, well, absolutely. So, you know, I I listened a bit to your last guest, and I know there was a conversation about abusive policing. Uh, And I think our nation has been awakened over the last year and a half, Um, starting with the tragic killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, Eric Garner's death in New York, 12-year-old Camille Rice, in Cleveland, Sandra Bland down in Texas, Freddie Gray in Baltimore. It almost seems like an endless stream of highly publicized, abusive police encounters leaving people dead, disproportionately people of color dead. And the nation has been awakened to the cruel reality that equal justice in America is a myth. But, but what I like to say, and I, and I run an organization that trains, mentors, supports, and inspires public defenders in the most broken criminal justice systems to push back against those systems and demand reform. And what I frequently say is that for every person shot and killed by a police officer, tens of thousands are arrested. They're thrown into a criminal justice system. They're given a lawyer who may be heroic, but they are overwhelmed, beaten down, under-resourced, and they are processed through that system into prison cells If they ever get out, they likely won't be able to return to their homes or their jobs. They won't be able to vote. They won't be able to get educational loans. They'll be rendered second-class citizens. And I think the same phenomenon that allows us to tolerate abusive policing in the streets allows us to tolerate routine injustice in the court system. And that phenomenon is that we have come to dehumanize certain populations of people. We see people based on class and based on race uh, as less than human, less worthy of protection. And therefore, quite frankly, we're not that outraged that tens of thousands of them are being processed through the system into cages and communities are being destroyed and children are being born into a cycle of dysfunction and literally uh, the nation is being divided along class and race lines. We're not moved because we don't see them as humans. I agree. Um, Mr. Rapp, and this is uh, Dennis. Uh, hey, I'm telling you, I agree 100% with what you're saying. And it's sad. I, I have this saying that until America gets mad, until we all come together as a people and start, you know, voicing our disc, you know, our, our, our grievances against this, you know, this type of injustice, you're right. It's going to continue to happen. It's it's, it's going to continue to to snowball. And like you said, they the, that individual goes in prison, gets out of prison. The, the, it's, the system is made so that no matter what, you can't get up. And if you can't get up, and if you can't try to do the right thing, what what's your alternative? It's probably to go back but, but to what you were doing. I think that's right, Dennis. I think when you render an entire population of people voiceless. There is no incentive to protect them. So earlier, uh, before I got on, I, I, I heard the conversation about 
the fact that there is finally a national conversation, a bipartisan conversation going on in this country about the need to address mass incarceration, the need to engage in criminal justice reform. And I applaud that effort. But if you listen to these conversations, the president had a panel at the White House where he invited a U.S. attorney and a chief of police, no public defender. You can read articles. You can, you can listen to panel discussions. Um, what is missing from the conversation is the need to support the men and women who are responsible for giving voice to these communities that are being processed through the system. Public defenders routinely are handling two, three, four hundred cases a year. Imagine if you or I went to a lawyer and we said, listen, I'm in big trouble. I need a lawyer. And the lawyer said, well, you're in, in luck because I actually have one day this year that I can give you. One day. You would say, I'm, not giving, I'm, I'm going to go get another lawyer. But that's what we force poor people to deal with all the time. A lawyer who might be able to spend a few hours on their case this year. What chance do they have? So if we don't fix that problem, if we don't make sure poor people have lawyers who have the time and the resources and the training and the commitment to bring the Constitution to life, to make sure that the protections we demand for our loved ones are given to the most vulnerable among us, we're never going to have equal justice. And until that piece is added into the national conversation, equal justice will remain elusive in America. No, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, uh, your point is, is very clear. Uh, this, ladies and gentlemen of America, make no mistake about it, these are the issues that nobody wants to talk about, but they are major exactly. on the front lines, if you will, on the fight and the battle for justice for every American citizen. I think what Mr. Rapping alludes to here is very clear. This is, we have such a broken system, we've lost sight of what matters. And what matters is, is that every citizen is, is allowed the rights under the Constitution to be free, to have a life of liberty, of prosperity, and peace. You're not going to have that if a defendant cannot get a, a defense because resources are dried up, because resources are refused to be put into the, uh, the bank, if you will, for the public defender's office that defend the majority of defendants no, in this country. No, no question. Dennis, can, I, can I add one other thing? Because, I, again, before I got on, there was a conversation about uh, the number of wrongful convictions in this country and what a tragedy is, it is. And uh, the previous guest said even a conservative estimate would be 5%, um, which is, is tragic. And, and, and everyone would agree that when someone is convicted of a crime they didn't commit, that's a grave injustice. But, but let me suggest that we should be concerned about more than just wrongful convictions. In America, there are people who make mistakes. Maybe because their children are hungry, they shoplift. Maybe because they grew up with no opportunity, they sell some marijuana. They make mistakes. The problem is there are certain communities in this country that pay for those mistakes with their life. And there are other communities that are allowed to make those mistakes and they get second chances, third chances, fourth chances before going to Yale and Harvard and Princeton. And they end up in the White House or in Congress 
And so we shouldn't just be concerned about wrongful convictions. If the Constitution means anything, it means treating everyone equally, regardless of race, regardless of class. And that means if some people get second chances, everyone should get second chances. And when the police focus on our poorest, most vulnerable communities, when prosecutors focus on charging poor, vulnerable populations, when judges sentence people of color more harshly, when that happens, those people may have actually made that mistake. That's not justice. That's not what we believe in in America. We have to make sure everyone is treated equally. And we see people, as one of my heroes, Brian Stevenson, says, as more than the worst thing they've ever done. Some people are defined by their worst mistake. Other people are forgiven for their worst, worst mistake, and they get to be defined by everything else they do in life that's valuable. That's not right. No, it definitely isn't. And, and uh, uh, Jonathan, if I can call you that, hang on with us here. We're going to bring on George Malengrot, uh, who mm-hmm. is also going to be a part of this discussion. And before we get to uh, George and Jonathan, uh, there's a young lady by the name of Kay um, that we're going to be talking to here momentarily. Uh, but I think your point, and let me see, is George uh, is George there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you, George. I appreciate you joining us. We appreciate your patience. We're going to get your viewpoint here momentarily, uh, and we're going to we're waiting to uh, get a comment uh, from Kay. She wanted to add into the conversation before we get into further dialogue uh, with Jonathan and you uh, together on this conversation. I thought I think it's critically important. Uh, but to our audience, listening audience, if you want to join in in this conversation tonight. Feel free to call 347-838-8976. And again, that number is 347-838-8976. If you're out there in social media, tune in and join us. And uh, this discussion is critically, critically uh, important. Um, And we're talking about the Constitution, the lack of that Constitution uh, being implemented in our right now. And that's critically important that we pay attention and take a look at those items. Um, and we're still working on getting uh, getting Kay in. So, uh, George, introduce yourself to the to our listeners really quick, if you could. George, are you there? Okay, we may have lost George. We'll come back to him momentarily. Um, and Kay, are you with us? Can you hear me? I can, Kay. Thank you so much for your okay. patience. Uh, no finally, problem. Uh, no, we appreciate that. And as we talk about this issue tonight, what are your thoughts as far as the Constitution being violated uh, in our criminal justice system and what you probably experience yourself as a result as you fight for justice as well? Absolutely. I tell you, I completely concur with some of the comments made by your first guest tonight. It doesn't just start in the court system. It absolutely starts with the arresting officers and the investigation or lack thereof. Um, Case in point, my 71-year-old father has been in prison for almost half his life for crimes he did not commit, and everyone in the state of Missouri knows he didn't commit them, yet he's still sitting there. Mm-hmm. That's tragic. And uh, as we were discussing earlier why these things happen, uh, our thought is that because it, there's no accountability in the courtroom, people are running rogue, judges are running rogue, prosecutors are running rogue, as a result, who, is, who suffers from it? You suffer from it. Your father suffers from it. Tell the folks, if you will, Kay, uh, how do we reach out to seek justice for your father? 
Well, you know, I, I tell you what, I have been screaming myself for years, and honestly, there's some really, uh, I don't know if how up-to-date you guys are in the developments in my dad's case. So when I spoke with you guys a couple years ago, he was awaiting an evidentiary hearing at the time. He actually just had a habeas corpus hearing last uh, in March of this year, 53 uh-huh. days ago. Evidence was submitted to the judge, and we're still waiting on a decision. But what led to that is last fall, a television show profiled his case. And that television show led to the only eyewitness against him recanting her testimony and is now advocating advocating for his release, testified in open court at his habeas corpus proceeding in March that she knows he did not kill her mother, he did not attack her, and she wants him released. Oh, wow. Yeah, 53 days later, we're still sitting here. Right. No, no, no. And, and we're gonna, we, we would like to get that message out, and we appreciate you uh, and, and hopeful that justice will prevail in this case. I don't know how simple or, or how simple it has to get when you're dealing with an eyewitness saying he didn't do it. Uh, Absolutely. That should have been, been an immediate decision, you would think, if, again, the process worked as it needed to work. So what we're going to do, uh, is there anything we can do, Kay, to contact that judge, uh, his location, where he is, to say, look, we're asking as American citizens and as an advocacy group to to, to seek justice in this case? You know, unfortunately, at this point in time, I I just, I would have to speak with my dad's attorneys before I asked people to contact the judge. And I just, because this was short notice, I haven't had a chance to do that. So I would not ask people to contact the judge. But just kind of, we do have a petition that is going to the governor and the attorney general, and that can be found on our website at FreeRodneyLincoln.com. Okay, and ladies and gentlemen, that's FreeRodneyLincoln.com. Go out there tonight, tomorrow, tell your friends on Facebook, Twitter, everywhere, uh, and do what we need to do to to, uh, sign that petition uh, that the governor would bring action and justice here in this case. And uh, we appreciate that case so very much. We will be following this case. Please keep us informed of what's happening. Uh, You have our information, our contact information. And ladies and gentlemen, Kay is a very clear example. Her father is a clear example where the Constitution continues. The the wheels fall off the track, if you will, uh, in courtrooms all across this country. Kay, I don't want to hold you any longer. Thank you for taking a few minutes with us tonight. We will, again, put that information. I'll be in contact with you offline. We will begin to, again, go out there and sign that petition, and we'll make that uh, available to all of our listeners across the country, okay? Thanks, Lamont. I appreciate it. You're very, very welcome, and we'll be back in touch. And thank you for that. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you so much. And, Jonathan, are you still there? I'm here. Okay, Jonathan, thank you so much for your patience on that. When you hear that and you hear that conversation, uh, what does that actually do to you? Well, you know, Sadly, that story is not an uncommon story. Um, you know, it, it makes me realize that some lives are a lot less valuable than others. The idea that and we have a culture in our criminal justice system that drives everyone in it to be numb to these humanity. Um, people become cases. Uh, Human beings become descendants. They no longer have names or faces. And so at the end of a process, when there are witnesses saying someone is actually innocent, 
rather than a natural human emotion, I'm sure every listener is saying that man should be released. People in the system ask, did the process work? And now we can't change the process. The system turns us into sort of robots. We're mechanical. It's not about people and feelings and human beings anymore. It's all process-focused. And in that process, uh, human beings are caught up in it, and it's hard to get them out of it once they're in it. Her father's an example of that. And, Jonathan, uh, I think that you know exactly what you're saying. It kind of reminds you of in war – the generals, the colonels, everybody who's running the war says, well, this is collateral damage and we're willing to accept that as long as the war can be won. And the, as you say, the people in the system look at the innocent people who are caught up in prison for no reason have committed a crime that they're, they're collateral damage of the system. Because like you say, the process went forward and convicted this person based on the process of law, not on the fact of whether they're innocent or guilty. And I think that is a tragedy. It, 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 it takes out the, uh, the human factor out of the judicial system. It just says, okay, well, we're, we're, we're taking, uh, you know, people numbers and pushing them through the system. And if the process works, then it, then it convicts them because, you know, the, the criminal justice system is not about ensuring that the innocent get off. It's about ensuring that a person brought through the system is put in, in, uh, in prison for as long as possible. That is a sad uh, case, but in my opinion, that is exactly what the criminal justice system is about. And, 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 and to add to that, it's ensuring that it's done efficiently and cheaply. So you yes. have prosecutors charging far more cases than the system can handle. They know that all those people can't be treated consistent with justice, but they have a goal of getting those cases processed. So what do they do? They overcharge. They ask for a bond that a person can't possibly make. They let someone sit in jail for months, and then they offer them a plea, and they say, listen, the way you can get out is to take this plea. If you don't take the plea, you'll sit in jail another six months waiting for trial. And people are pleading guilty because they want to go home and see their children. They want to get back to their jobs. That's not justice. It's an efficient way to clear dockets, but it oh, is not a way to make sure people are treated justly. No, absolutely. And uh, hold that thought, uh, Jonathan. We're going to bring on George Malengrot. Uh, and I, George, are you with us? Yes, I am. Can you hear me now? I can hear you, George. Thank you so much uh, for Good. hanging in there with us. Uh, issues uh, here, earlier, but we can hear you now. Uh, you've been hearing, of course, probably the conversation tonight in regards uh, that we're trying to address the issue that the Constitution of the United States being taken out of the courtroom is a clear result. Uh, and, I don't care, and I don't care if you're talking about uh, not having effective counsel as a result of the resources of the state not doing what they need to do. All of these things contribute to the lack of the Constitution. If we follow the Constitution that every person has a right to a fair and impartial trial, well, that means I have effective counsel. That means my counsel has effective money. That, you know what I mean? It all, to me, belongs in the spot. From what you've heard, George, what, is, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I saw uh, particularly the Eighth Amendment being violated uh, quite rarely 
for the listeners, I worked as a psychotherapist in a Florida State Prison psychiatric ward where patients on my caseload were starved, uh, beaten, and in the case of Darren Rainey, guards put him in a scalding hot shower where he had no control over the temperature, and they left him there to die. And uh, that is definitely an Eighth Amendment violation. Uh, But the other amendments, uh, the other amendment that is violated in uh, a subtle way is the First Amendment. So I've seen uh, uh, some constitutional violations in my work as well. And and if you ask yourself the question, how did America get here? How did we get here to the point where we live in a barbaric society, if you will, and it may not be the proper uh, word in, in, in some some people's mind or their estimation of what that means. But when you're locking a man in a shower and scorching him to death, when you're putting men in cages, starving men and women in this country, when you take juveniles who've been caught up in human trafficking and you charge them with crimes of prostitution, though they have been raped or forcibly forced to have sex with these men, what is the problem with this country? I'll say it again. We need a class in the Constitution of the United States in every courtroom, in every police station, in every law school to say, wait a minute, this is what is supposed to be the case. And I'll pose this question to, to you, George and Jonathan. Uh, and Jonathan, I'll pose it to you first. How do we get out this mess? Well, I think for me it really goes back to – and you're right. I think it goes back to education. And I think – so I teach law school as well as running um, a nonprofit that trains public defenders. And one of my favorite quotes is by an unnamed law student. It says, the first thing I lost in law school is the reason why I came. And I share that with my first-year students. And I say, you're about to enter a first year where you're going to learn the laws about – it is about rules and doctrine. It's reduced to black letters on white pages, and you'll forget there are people behind those pages. We teach law as a process, as we were talking about earlier, and I think the only way to get out of this is to force people who deal with human beings in the criminal justice system to see them as human beings in the criminal justice system. We couldn't treat Daryl Rainey that way if we truly saw him as a member of our community. But somehow the people who run that prison have allowed themselves to see him as something less than human, something that could be left in a scalding shower. That's an education issue, I think. No, absolutely. Yes, I'd have to agree that, that we've reduced people to just numbers. And with regard to the Florida Department of Corrections, there's been a culture of brutality for generations. And this is, this is not just specific to Florida. This is nationwide. Uh, some states are better than others, but the prevailing culture needs to be changed because really it's a culture that contributes to recidivism. And what happens is these, these people are coming in and leaving worse off than when they first started. And this is something that we have to take responsibility uh, for as citizens because we're electing officials that are making laws that are uh, putting a disproportionate number of African Americans in prison. 
And when they leave, they're returning to their communities, as, as the other um, uh, guests said, you know, without jobs, and, and they become uh, pariahs, second-class citizens. I, I agree you, with you. You know, if, if I could also add one other thing, I, you, you, when we talk about the disproportionate number of African-Americans in the system, um, there's a, a growing body of social science on this concept of implicit racial bias. And what it tells us is that all of us um, are affected by implicit biases that associate race and dangerousness. Uh, one of the most telling quotes is by Reverend Jesse Jackson, a great civil rights leader, who said, nothing concerns me more than and when I'm walking down the street at night and I hear footsteps behind me and I turn around and, re- and I'm relieved to see a white person, right? That all of us, even the most egalitarian-minded of us, have bought into this poisonous narrative in this country that associates race and criminality. And that, I think, helps account for why we over-police communities of color, over-prosecute communities of color, over-sentence communities of color, and abuse disproportionately communities of color when they're in the system. No, absolutely right, and uh, those are facts. Uh, we, you know, th- these are not assumptions or an opinion. These are the facts that uh, the African-American and minority and Latino communities suffer more harm. But again, if every American is treated equally under the law and, uh, and is, deserve the same rights as everybody else, we don't have this problem. We don't have this discussion. And and to um, to add to that, and and I guess to a, for a question, you know, for you both, uh, Jonathan and George. Um, I mean, we we look at the culture and we look at what's been ingrained in the in the minds and the thoughts of the American people, the propaganda. And you know, I have to I have to question: Is education enough to change the culture? I mean, you see you see people of color or people of lower means that they'll get education educated and they're able to change their outlook on life. They're able to change their career path. They're able to uh, change their family's future uh, with education being one of those key milestones in every person's life. But is education enough to change the culture in the criminal justice system to say that, you know, a person of color isn't necessarily a, uh, a violent criminal, uh, you know, uh, a urban leopard, you know, somebody that's out of control that is there just to harm you? Is education enough to, to change that culture of uh, criminal justice? Well, I think, I think that's something that – go ahead. You well, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I think that's something that's it's so deeply embedded in our culture, but we are prying it loose a bit because we've got a lot of African-American role models that are challenging the stereotypes. Yeah. And so the, the more we highlight these people, and I'm not just talking about President Obama, I'm talking about people in our neighborhood who have who have come from nothing and they own their own business and and they're trying to improve their neighborhood. These people should be held out as role models for not only uh, the the black uh, people in their neighborhood, but also white, Caucasian, Latino. These are people that succeeded and are definitely throwing the old stereotypes out. Well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I, I also think so. So, um, 
as I mentioned in the beginning, I run an organization called Gideon's Promise, and we've now in nine years grown to a community of, of over 1,000 public defenders uh, across 16 states. Um, these are from new public defenders to senior public defenders, and, it, and, and we're not just training them. It is grooming them to think about the people we represent differently and think about their roles differently and to be advocates for change. And, and what we really are doing is trying to change a culture of injustice. And the way we do that is through, uh, you, you, uh, in my experience, I've worked in New Orleans and Alabama and, and Mississippi and Georgia. And what I've really come to see is there are public defenders, well-intentioned public defenders, who get into a system that drives them to lose sight of justice. I talked to a senior public defender once who told me they couldn't file a motion, a basic motion, because their judge would get mad. They were shaped by a judge-centered culture instead of a client-centered culture. And so the way we take that on is we recruit from law schools across the country. We do what we call values-based recruiting. We recruit people who are open to, receptive to, excited about practicing consistently with the values that their clients deserve. We then do values-based training, and we train people on how to deal with real-world experiences consistent with those values, and then we do values-based mentorship. So when they're in the field and they run into these challenges, these pressures to abandon those values, we mentor them to think about how to be true to those values in a difficult climate. And I believe that as we get enough people thinking about how to act consistently with the values that our Constitution demands, which have been abandoned over decades in this country, we will start to see a cultural change. Oh, I definitely agree with that. And, and George and, and, and Jonathan, the information you provide and that you have provided tonight, I think, is, is very valuable and very informative to the listeners across America. These are issues and this is important, and it's very clear that the discussion has started, uh, and we need to continue this discussion as we go forward. Uh, I want to thank you folks for joining us tonight on this segment of the program. Uh, I think what you offer, uh, Jonathan, what you're doing, your public service, what I believe your public service in, in really shaping the future of this country uh, in the training and the things that you're teaching these students uh, and these attorneys, I think is critically, critically important. And George, as well as what you do, I believe this, it takes all of us coming together, discussing these issues and saying we together have to educate. We have to change the culture. That's going to take all of us doing that. Do me a favor really quick, George. Tell the folks how they get a hold of you if you want them to reach out to you and your organization. The, the best way to get a hold of me, and this is pretty easy because it's also the name of the book I wrote about my prison experience there, is gettingawaywithmurder.org. So that's one word, gettingawaywithmurder.org. Well, thank you so very much, George, and we'll be back in touch with you as well offline. Jonathan, uh, what you're doing, tell the folks how to get a hold of you, what they can do to reach out and be a part of that as well. Absolutely. Go to our website at Gideon's Promise, one word, Gideon'sPromise.org. Learn about the work of these amazing public defenders and learn about how you can support them um, and, and, and help convince folks across the country that they have to be a part of any real solution for criminal justice reform. Thanks. And thank you so very much. And ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Uh, Jonathan Rapping and, of course, uh, George McEncroft. And also we've had... Uh, the gentleman earlier, uh, Donald Connery, 
Uh, these are people that are doing some things that are trying to, to institute change. That change has to happen, and it takes all of us working together to get it done. Again, tonight, the focus of tonight's program, addressing the Constitution issue in America's criminal justice system. It has gone missing, and one thing is clear, every one of our guests agree. The Constitution and the rights of Americans hang in the balance. We're coming right back. Don't go nowhere. This is AJC Radio bringing the message of justice all around the world. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. We begin with the sentence handed out in a Texas court that has stunned the families of four people who were killed by a drunk driver six months ago. It was Father's Day weekend. A young woman with car trouble was stranded on the side of a road late at night. The mother and her daughter had no inkling their decision to be good Samaritans to help out the stranded motorist would prove fatal. Neither did the youth pastor who also stopped to help. But a teenager who'd been drinking heavily plowed into the group of people with his truck. That's the teen there. 
His lawyer didn't deny he was drunk when he mowed them down. They didn't contest any of the basic facts that the prosecutors presented. What they argued instead was surprising. Their defense, the 16-year-old who killed four innocent people, was a victim too, a victim of his family's wealth. They even gave it a name, affluenza. The judge agreed, and the teen who faced up to 20 years behind bars got no prison time at all. Here's Randy Kay. He got drunk, then jumped behind the wheel of his pickup truck and plowed down four people in a drunken haze. So why isn't Ethan Couch behind bars? Keep in mind, he's just 16, too young to legally drive with any alcohol in his system. And in this case, his blood alcohol measured 0.24, three times the legal limit in Texas. Eric Boyle's wife and daughter were both killed. We had over 180 years of life taken future life, not 180 years lived, but 180 years of future life taken. And two of those were my wife and daughter. Investigators say surveillance tape shows Couch and his friends stealing beer from a Walmart store in June. Then they got drunk at a party. Leaving there, police say Couch gunned his pickup, going nearly 70 miles per hour in a 40. Just about 400 yards down the street, he slammed into Holly and Shelby Boyle, who had stopped to help Brianna Mitchell fix a flat tire. Youth pastor Brian Jennings was driving by and had also stopped to help. All of them were killed. Ethan Couch was charged with four counts of intoxication manslaughter and tried as a juvenile. In one of the most bizarre defense strategies we've ever heard of, attorneys for Couch blamed the boy's parents for his behavior that night, all because of how they raised him. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight we have touched on a couple of things regarding the criminal justice system, the Constitution at the forefront, and the lack thereof, if you will, in in America's courtrooms, in police stations all over this country. We are dealing with issues that uh, are critically affecting fairness in the United States of America and, and the right, if you will, uh, to do process and justice. And uh, we are very grateful for the gentleman uh, and the young lady, uh, Kay, uh, Jonathan, and George, who've joined us tonight in regard to Mr. Connery, given his perspective, Dennis, on all of these things that we have, I believe it gives the impression of a complete tsunami in this country uh, with injustice. And the key factor, as we keep alluding to, uh, is the failure to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And the key tonight, for the first time in a long time, we are hearing people defend the Constitution. Dennis, your thoughts on that? Oh, exactly. I mean, uh, as everybody was talking, I was thinking about how, you know, you get away from the Constitution, and, and it's all because we give, you know, these these law enforcers supposedly and our our, our judges and our prosecutors, we give them too much power. And then we hold them to no, we, we have no accountability, and then there's no consequences as to, you know, what should happen to them if they do something wrong. No, without question. And, uh, we, folks, we're going to be discussing this for a great period of time. We're going to get into it here right now. Uh, on the other side of this issue, we have a particular case, the RP6. What you didn't know about the RP6 starts right now. Some people think that business... 
is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to jail. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the IRP-6. Tonight we deal with the Constitution, which was gone missing in that case. Right now, we go to a caller who has a comment. Yes, we have the truth on the line. You have a comment. Go ahead. You're live. Yes, I, I was thinking, as we've been talking tonight, the show's been talking about uh, what's wrong? How did it happen? And all this, and, and all this. Uh, the bottom line is, if they would take away the cloak of secrecy over this so-called justice system, they gag people with gag orders. You go into the into the thing with the with the um, with the grand jury is secret. Wherever there's a cover over something, there's something wrong with it. I mean, you can't even take an attorney with you into the grand jury. And, and you, all this cloak of secrecy is what has destroyed the American justice system because people only cover what they need to hide, stuff going on behind uh, closed door judges and, 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 uh, and prosecutors getting together and, and, and saying things and doing things with, with closed doors. And, and nobody knows it. I think if I guarantee you, if they would tell prosecutors and judge judges, if you put somebody in prison, 
with full knowledge that they had evidence to prove that they were innocent, and you put them in prison anyway, we're going to pull you off the bench, out of the courtroom, and you're going to jail. You know what? If, if, we, if we as parents, if we let our kids do something after over a period of time, they lose fear of it. They just start doing it all the time. We have to say you can't do that. That's wrong. We don't tell the judges they're wrong. These, I, I was thinking about um, Judge Aguero who told our guys, um, I have your life in my hands. Who gives you the right? And since when did somebody make you God? And that's why we got this messed up mess, because we got people like Judge Aguero and Matt Kerr sitting up there dogging people out of the courtroom behind closed doors. And even when they were having a trial, uh, one of the attorneys came in, uh, who, who we know, and sat in the courtroom. They want to know who he was. Where did he come from? You know, if you're doing something right, what does it matter who's sitting in the audience? These people right. are nothing but liars and crooks, and they continue to do it. We can talk about reforming our justice system all we want to. If you don't go behind that wall and pull those judges and prosecutors off of the bench that's doing this to people, that's why the prison system is running over. That's why we have mass incarceration. It's because these people, whatever they feel, they do. And like you said tonight, there's no respect for the Constitution. These judges and prosecutors make their own rules. And nobody is going in there saying, you can't do that. And if you do it, there are consequences for it. Uh, do you know how many people would run over people in the street and, and shoot people and all this stuff if there were no consequences? People draw back when they would do something violent or do something crazy. They think about, I could go to jail. These judges and prosecutors don't have to think about anything. And I want y'all to look up. I don't know if anybody knows this. When was it put in place that prosecutors and judges have immunity? Was that from what our forefathers put in place? Or did this come up later? I am very curious about that. But I think it's terrible. You get the one behind the wall that's sitting on the bench, that's, that's, that's controlling people's lives, and if they don't like you, put you in jail. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm a racist sitting up there, and we do have racist judges and prosecutors, if they're that way and you're black, you don't stand a chance anyway. We need to go through the whole process of behind the scenes. Don't just put a, a we need prison reform and put a pretty face on it. Otherwise, you've got the same thing going on. At some point, clean house that this is not going to happen anymore. Where is this problem coming from? It's coming from corrupt judges and prosecutors who are not giving people a fair chance uh, to have a fair trial. All these things is a problem. And unless they change that, they can put a reform on the front all they want to. This thing is going to get worse because people are not accountable. They're, they're not transparent. So we don't really have to do anything because we just put this wall in front of us and we go and do all this stuff behind the closed doors, just like Judge Aguero did with that with, with that court repeat, uh, a reporter. Uh, 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 what's her name? Um, I can't think of her name right now. But she, Martinez. She, they got they got together and went in her office and did that while the men was out. Because when they came back and asked for it, she said, I can't, "I'm not going to allow you to have it." I mean, it's so much crooked stuff in the with the judges and prosecutors. Start there if you want reform. That's what it's 
grow back. You got to go down there and get the root of the problem. What is the problem that's causing all these issues? Why do we have the largest incarceration throughout the world? Why is all this stuff going on? It's going on simply because you will not uproot where the problem is. Quit disregarding it. Quit, quit ignoring it. It is for real. Okay, thank you for taking my call. And thank you for the call. Uh, and I'll tell you this, folks. Uh, it cannot be said any clearer that... In a time of war, you cut the head off. The rest of the body can't move. The problem is at the top. And as the truth alluded to, the, or as she said very clearly, you have to go to the root. And that has to happen in America. And again, th- this happened in the IRP6 case. The folks that she names, uh, Christine Arguello, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, uh, Matthew Kirst, John Walsh, uh, the entire process uh, must have left the Constitution at home when they were in law school because it has not been respected any further. Lisa, the perpetrators of justice uh, that locked the IRP six up, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Who are they? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra. Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Mowen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Cornfield, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that, Lisa. And those are the perpetrators of justice that have trampled the Constitution under their feet. Cliff? Yes, we want to say thank you to everyone in the chat room, all of our callers. We appreciate it. We also want to say thank you to our guests, Mr. Donald Connery, Jonathan Rapping, and George Mallinckrodt. We appreciate you guys taking time out of your evening to spend with us. Also, we want to say thank you to the production crew, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson from K&D Productions, helping out Ill Skillers Girl in the control room to make sure you hear what we have to say. Also, to our production support team, they give us accurate and up-to-date information so we can pass that on to you. And also, to the truth, we appreciate everything you have to say. And thank you for that, Cliff. And uh, again, we continue at AJC Radio to bring the message of justice all around the world. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and the entire AJC Radio team. And folks that called in tonight, sorry we didn't get to you. Uh, Feel free. Uh, We're going to continue this discussion as, again, justice lays idle in the streets of America as we seek to bring that message around the world. Have a good night, America. We'll see you next time.